Wonderful. Isn't it beautiful to pause in the presence of God and uh, just be refreshed, encouraged, and drink all of Him in? So Scripture just comes to mind. Written by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I guess some of us are still doing that. I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and complete. But I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. We live in a world of mystery where we don't know it all, where we don't see it all, we don't understand it all. But these three values, Paul says, three things will last forever. Faith hope and love and the greatest of these is love isn't that awesome the world says these three things birth, death and taxes that's what it's about but Paul says it's faith, hope and love these are the three things that endure forever and so I want to really encourage you this morning how you're doing growing your faith your hope, and your love. They're eternal values. They will never end. They will never stop. They will never diminish. And every day, we have the opportunity to practice that with one another. Some days it's a little challenging, isn't it? When you wake up and go, oh no. (laughs) It's a little bit of a challenge to express those things. So this morning, I, you know, it was so good in God's presence, wasn't it? It really is. Yeah, there's, there's nothing like drawing into his presence. It reminds me, Michelle, where, where are you? I saw Michelle. Happy birthday, by the way, Michelle. Congratulations, 21, I guess. One of the things... Um, Byron and Michelle, along with Mark Goodwin, are bee experts. And I hope you don't mind me saying this. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but you're amazing with bees. And I'm a hobbyist beekeeper. And I really enjoy my bees. And I really, well, one of the things, can I say, I look after my bees really well. They don't always appreciate that. (laughs) One particular day, I got stung 12 times on my face. And what made it really bad, it was on a Saturday, and I was having to come and speak on a Sunday. (laughs) Wendy knows the story well I don't think I turned up that day but I have turned up some Sundays with stings so I'm pleased to say I've got no stings today but one of the most amazing things about beekeeping that I enjoy and it's around this time of the year and I know Byron and Michelle would identify with it so much that when you open a hive up at this time of the year it has the most amazing aroma doesn't it 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 is amazing I was going to say unbelievable. It is outstandingly beautiful. It is so hard to describe. It's an aroma of what I would call um, a lavender velvet. It's rich. It is undescribably beautiful. 
It really is. Go and do beekeeping, you'll find out. <laughs> Just be careful of the stings, though. So, so why am I saying that? There's something as you press into be it bees, as you press into God and His fragrance of His Spirit is just something indescribably beautiful, isn't it? And as a church, God wants us to, to take us more and more into His presence. And so can I encourage you as we come to church on Sunday, come with an expectation that I'm going to meet God. Come with that expectation. I'm going to meet my Savior this morning. He's with me all the time, of course, but I'm with my church family And this is for each and every one of us. If you've been a bit of a spectator, can I encourage you, come into the game and embrace it all. Be part of it because God wants to take us to new places as a faith community, a place where we belong, a place where we can enjoy and feast in His presence where there's the fullness of joy forevermore. It's got to be a good place, doesn't it? It really, really does. Well, if you've got your Bibles, last time we met, or I spoke, Um, We looked at peace, and uh, today I'm going to continue with that. If you've got your Bibles, go to um, John 16, verse 33, and today I'm just going to be taking the theme of peace a little bit further and looking at the whole aspect of peace on purpose, peace on purpose. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, peace on purpose? You can do better to the other side, the neighbor on the other side. Peace on purpose. Very good. Very, very good. Just going back to that scripture on uh, one Thess- sorry, one Corinthians thirteen thirty. My word, I had pizza last night. I had pizza. We went to Big, what was it called? Big Popper's Pizza in St Andrews, and uh, we we had a, a um, steak and cheese and a chicken and apricot pizza. They were very yummy. But at about sort of one o'clock in the morning, Wendy and I said to one another, we can't get to sleep. And we almost said at the same time, what was in that pizza? There was something in that pizza. I don't know, it was another hour or two later before we finally got to sleep. They put something in there. It was like I was on a coughing um, hit or something. But anyway, um, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. There we go, I got it. And it says, you know, these three things, love, peace, and joy abide. If we build our lives on these three principles where life is found, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life to the full, and it's found in the fullness of loving one another, having faith in God, and living with hope and expectation. When we live in love, guess what comes back to us? Love. The more you love others, the more love you receive, the more love you experience, the more love you grow in. If you build a life of faith, Pressing into God, trusting Him. What does faith produce in your life? Peace. This confidence, this assurance, this completeness that I'm at peace and I'm at rest. No no matter what else happens or whatever happens around me, I have absolute assurance in my Savior. My confidence in Him. And I can know that He's God in every situation. When I focus on hope, the expectation of good, what's going to be the fruit of that hope? Joy. I really look forward to my birthday. I have great expectations because I know I'm going to get some good presents. And I say to my kids, I want good presents. I even give my expectations to Wendy. 
I get in trouble for that. <laughs> Can I tell you this? This is the absolute truth. I asked for a gift on my birthday, which is at the end of July, and Wendy dutifully gave it to me, which is very good. Should I tell you what it was? Do you want to know what it was? All right. I asked her for money. <laughs> I said I want money. <laughs> I want lots of it, I said. So she gave me some money. I've got to be very careful now, don't I? I've got to be really careful. All right, I'll tell you the rest of it. I did have pizza last night, didn't I? So I have some money saved in a special place in my bedroom. Not that there's lots of money there. So when Wendy gave me this money, and she gave me some beautiful perfume, I must say, some aftershave, I pulled out my other money and stuck her money that she'd given me with the money I already had. She said, why did you need any money? (laughs) I was joyful. My expectation was filled. (laughs) So the fruit of hope, getting back onto things, (laughs) before I really dig myself a hole, I've already done it, haven't I? Oh, we're having fun, so that's good. So the, the fruit of, of joy, of, of hope, is this joy. And when you've got joy, guess what you've got? You've got strength to do things. You've got power, you've got fire in your belly that you can wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to do my work because I've got joy and energy in my spirit. And that's what the Scripture says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And it comes from a place of these eternal values of hope. I'm building hope. I'm living with a joy and expectation that gives me strength and energy to give and work, as God has called me to do. The beautiful thing about faith, when it's anchored in God, it produces this restful, calm assurance of peace. And when you're on a platform of peace, it's not the absence of trouble, but when you're on a platform of peace, you can be very purposed in the way that you're going to live for God. And that's where God wants us to be, is a place that we know and experience and share His love, His peace, and His joy. And we can be like Jesus whenever, wherever, where those things are happening in our lives. So this morning, I want to carry the the focus on peace. And of course, we spoke last time that in the world, there's plenty of trouble. And Jesus said, A very interesting thing about trouble, and we can have a look in um, Luke 18, and we'll we'll just go there. It's the story of some people that found themselves in tragedy. Luke, actually Luke 13, verses 1 to 5. And I just want to dig a little bit deeper into this than what we looked at last time. So in Luke 13, verses 1 to 5, about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? Were they worse sinners than others? And In essence, is what Jesus is suffering. Jesus says, not at all. When something traumatic happens to a person or a group of people, it's not because they're worse sinners. Often we can think, what did they do? Were they more deserving than others? Jesus says, it's got nothing to do with it. It's poor theology. 
It's not because they were worse sinners. And Jesus goes on to say, um, you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they worse sinners, the worst sinners in Jerusalem? The same thought again, Jesus goes, no. I tell you again, unless you repent, you too will perish. It's interesting when um, tragedy happens, the interpretation we give to it. And I really enjoy watching um, on YouTube atheists like Richard Dawkins, the late Chris Hutchins, as they talk about um, or try and rationalize um, suffering in the world. And, And their first port of call is they go and blame God. How could God, who says he's loving, allow these things to happen? Uh, That's their first port of call. And so that is they use as their defense about why they don't believe in God. But in saying that, it's a good question to ask. Why does God allow suffering to happen? It's been a question that's been asked for centuries. Let's go to Judges chapter 6 and verses 11 to 13. Judges 6, 11 to 13. Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And a winepress is a hole in the ground where they crush grapes. It's a lot of fun. I don't know if you've ever done that before. They do it in parts of the world where they put grapes because people trample on it and have a lot of fun as they make wine. Same sort of picture, but the Midianites were on a military campaign against the people of Israel. Their military campaign is what is known as the scorched earth approach where they burnt everything in sight. Their houses, they would burn them down. Their um, buildings for um, enterprise and commerce, they would build them down. Their crops, date trees, whatever it was, they would burn them down. They would absolutely scorch the earth. And it's a very oppressive place to be. And so in Judges 6, this is the account where... Gideon, the weakest of his tribe, is hiding from the Midianites. And then it goes on to say in verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, And scholars believe this angel is actually Jesus himself. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then listen to this, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Interesting question. And then there's Job. And in Job chapter 24, we won't go there. Where Job goes on for chapters giving his complaint to God about suffering in his life and his world. Several years ago, the Christian author and speaker Lee Strobel commissioned a national survey in the U.S. asking people this question. If there's only one thing you could ask God, what would it be? The number one response by a long way, why is there suffering in this world? And yesterday in in Stuff, there was an article by um, Brian and Joanne Guy I don't know if you remember them on the loss of their son, Scott, who was murdered in 2010 in Fielding. Still remains an unsolved crime. And as I was reading the article there, I just began to have tears uh, running down my face. 
the tragedy that this family has been through, not only did they lose their son, he lost his dad soon after, there was other deaths, uh, and, and just some horrendous things. And at the end of the article, both Brian and Joanne, who are believers, Brian says, I don't understand it all, but I found a peace in God. Joanne goes on to say something similar. And so, as we read in 1 Corinthians 13 there, there are things we don't know, there are things we don't understand. And we can respond to these things by going from a natural perspective, well, there's births, deaths, and taxes. Or we can look from God's perspective and say there's love, faith, and hope, and I'm going to live with the peace of God. I may not understand all that happens. I may not know why it all happens. And this is the other question I've been pondering. Even if I knew why bad things happened, even if I understood them, would that bring me any comfort? No, I don't believe it would. The real thing that I need, the real thing that you need, the real thing that brings us comfort is God's peace. And that's what he promises to give us. And that's what I want to encourage us today, that these attributes of peace and joy, I think, is something, generally speaking, that we don't highly value in the church and in our society. And so I want to encourage us today, as we leave from here, to focus on growing the aspects of God's peace and His joy in our lives. Because there we'll find a place of purpose and expectation that I believe will be absolutely enthralling for us. The other thing too about Gideon, further on, we, we won't read it, but Gideon said to the Lord, you are my peace. In fact, it's the only place in Scripture that I'm aware where Gideon actually says, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. And when he makes that declaration, he is empowered on a purpose to set the people of Israel free. Up until that time, he was facing anxieties and worries and stress. But the moment he encountered the God of peace, he's empowered for action. He's empowered in the lane that God has called him to be. And in that peace, he runs. And in that peace, he lives. And in that peace, he delivers a nation because he experienced the God of peace. Peace is a big deal for God. In Numbers 6.24, the um, ironic blessing, it says, May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord be gracious to you and cause His face to smile on you. May the Lord bless you. When it says the Lord, it's the personal name of God, Yahweh. The word bless, shalom, the peace, the completeness, the full restoration of God is for you and for me. Isn't that beautiful? So I want to encourage us this morning. I, I touched on one story. I'm just going to very briefly mention it because I am going to reverence it again. In Matthew 14, we read the story where Jesus walks on the water. Isn't that a great story? I loved reading my, that to my kids when they were young, about Jesus walking on the water, imagining what it was like. And Jesus says these words in verse 27. When Jesus is approaching the disciples in the midst of the storm, Jesus spoke to them and he said, Don't be afraid. Take courage. 
I am here. Why don't you turn to your neighbour and say that? Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. And the neighbour on the other side. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Jesus said, as he was going to the cross, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't let them be afraid. God's peace is the antidote to fear and anxiety and trouble. And one thing God has promised, there will never be the absence of trouble. And if we try and live trying to run away from it, it's not going to work. But one thing we can run to God and find us peace in the midst of it. I'm really curious about this too in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 22. Here is the day that Jesus has risen from the dead. And the disciples are gathered together. I mean, they were distraught. They were lost. They were worried. They were anxious. They were, their lives were turned upside down for the last three years. They've been with Jesus saw miracles, amazing miracles, water turning into wine, bread and fish multiplied, the sick healed, endless accounts of God working. They were troubled. They were anxious. Jesus walks into their room. The very first thing he says, peace to you, shalom. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And again he came into their midst and said, peace be with you. Isn't that awesome? Do you know, I don't know about you, but I've gone through situations which have been pretty troublesome and perplexing. But there's this peace that carries, you know what I mean? This peace that is with us. God wants us to grow and grow more and more on it. So I want to share with you four points on how to grow the peace of God in our lives. Four points on how to grow the peace of God. And then I'm going to wrap it up with um, a take-home for you. So in 2 Peter 1-2, this is what it says. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's God's desire. He wants you to grow more and more. Wherever you are today, whether you're just new on your faith journey or been on your faith journey for decades and years, God wants us all to grow more and more in grace and in peace. Many of the epistles, Corinthians, Colossians, Peter, Jude, there's many examples, have this theme of grace and peace as their opening um, verses. For example, Colossians 1-2, May the God, our true Father, release upon your lives the riches of His kind favor and heavenly peace through the Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. Isn't that awesome? Heavenly peace. In First Thessalonians 1-1, it opens up, May God's delightful grace and peace rest on you. In verse 2, we are grateful to God for your lives and are always praying for you. In 2 Thessalonians 1, it says again, may the grace and peace of Jesus be with you. 
I like this one on 1 Peter 1, 2. May God's delightful grace and peace cascade over you many times over. Isn't that awesome? It's like it's been under a shower, this water, this peace of God. Here's one for Lance. 1 Peter 5, 14. Greet one another with a kiss of peace. <laughs> okay, be careful with that one. <laughs> But this thought of peace, and it doesn't matter whether it's John, whether it's Jude, whether it's Peter, other authors of the New Testament, this theme of grace and peace, and it's much more than a welcome. It's much more than an opening statement. It's something of the culture of that God wants in His people and His church. To be filled with grace, to be filled with peace, to be so different than the people of the world. And it's not to say we don't have anxieties and struggles and challenges but we do have a God who walks through us with those places. And this is His gift, grace and peace. It's a good thing to ask what the word grace means. There's two common definitions. The first one is giving a gift to somebody. I'm gonna, can I use you again as another example? You've got your birthday coming, haven't you? So, um, <clears throat> when is it? Okay, I won't be here, but <laughs> God's grace is giving a gift that, that Lance and all of us, we just don't deserve. It's a free gift. It's the gift of salvation. It's what grace means, the free gift. But there's another aspect of grace, which is something we need and receive every day, which is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit within us to enable us to live and shine for Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. Every day, God has an expectation for you. Are you going to engage with my spirit? Are you going to live with faith and hope, sharing the love of God around you? God's grace always empowers us. The second point, the foundation for experiencing God's grace, comes from trusting God. In Isaiah 26, 3, it says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. I don't know about you, but trusting God's been a bit of a journey for me. When I was a new believer in my young teens, when I first found Jesus, my faith would go up and down. Sometimes I'd be confident of it, other times I wouldn't. It was a real roller coaster ride. But as I've gone on in my faith, I found the joy of saying, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I anchor into you. And do you know there's a principle of the kingdom of God? Father said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And I'm going to share one of these keys with you today. So this, if you're taking notes, is really important. Here's the key. The kingdom of God is faith-founded, voice-activated, faith-founded, voice-activated, action-orientated. I'm going to give you an example of this of the voice activation. I want you to turn to your neighbor shortly and say, I trust God. I'll tell you when to say that. And then I want you to turn to the neighbor on the other side and say the same thing. I trust God. Faith in your voice activates something and you can feel it. When I say I trust God, I feel a transaction in my heart going, yep, I do. I feel stronger. I feel enlarged. Because I've activated something in the kingdom of God. And when God's kingdom's activated, God's always going to be present around the activation of his kingdom. 
So I'd like you to do this right now with some passion, with faith, voice activating it. Say, I trust in God to the neighbor on your left. Say it to them one more time. One more time. Turn to the neighbor on the other side. Say it to them another time. Why don't we say it all together on the count of three? What do you reckon? Three, two, one. I trust in God. Doesn't that feel good? Does that feel good? It does feel good because it activates something in the kingdom. So we live in a kingdom. The kingdom of God is activated by our voice. Therefore, what you say is very important to determine your interaction with peace in regards to it. The other thing we can be really confident about finding peace and trusting God is knowing this, that God never changes. He never changes. I I mean, I change from day to day. And I'm not just getting older when I say that either. Hebrews 13 and 6 says, Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. We live in a world of constant change, of constant transition. But the one hope we can anchor our souls into is God never changes. He loves you with an everlasting love. He is so for you. He believes in you. And he says, do you know what he wants to say to you today? You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. He's there for you to win and not lose. Praise God we can trust him. The other reason why you can trust him, and I used to say this at primary school, we used to joke about this, my dad's stronger than your dad, until one of the boys said, well, that's nothing, my mum's stronger than my dad. (laughs) But you know, around today, we're enjoying some beautiful fine weather, beautiful fine day yesterday. Two minutes of sunshine on the earth, just two minutes, is enough power to light every household, every factory, every institution, every uh, street light, every security camera, the world over for one year. Isn't that amazing? There's so much energy released in the sun in two minutes. God is big. And our sun is one of the smallest stars in our solar system and the universe. We can trust God because he's a big God. Point three to finding God's peace is seek his presence. Seek his presence. God's presence is always with us, but sometimes we're more aware of it, aren't we? Sometimes we're more conscious of it. And so, church, I want to encourage you to lift your awareness, to lift your consciousness of the presence of God as you go by your day-to-day living. When you wake up in the morning, God is with me. When you go to work or school or whatever it is at home with your children, God is with me. Being aware of God's presence. Peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of Jesus. And so just as we tune a radio into a station, so we tune our heart, our attitude into God. Do you know if you take a sponge, a dry sponge, and put it into a sink of clean water, what does the sponge absorb? 
water, clean water. If you put a sponge into some dirty water, what does it absorb? Dirty water. So the presence that we immerse ourselves in gets into us. And so seeking God's presence, and His presence is so good for us, and His presence is so liberating for us, it changes us from the inside out. This was made so apparent to me when Wendy and I were on sabbatical in Los Angeles. I've shared this some time ago, but I'll share it with you again because I think it illustrates the point so well. We were in Los Angeles on the beach and having a coffee, as you do in America, and all of a sudden in my head, now I've never had this thought before, I was going, America's great. That's true. America's great. Then I'd go on a little bit further, I'd go, America's great. I'd go, what on earth am I saying that for? I never say that when I'm in New Zealand. Why am I saying America's great? This is what I believe. The atmosphere was filled with this belief, this attitude. American people are very generous, very open, and I was receiving this. I was sponged as I was taking it in. Another example, Wendy and I were in Galilee in Israel. It was on Sabbath. It was on Saturday. And we were driving to get a meal at a restaurant. There's only one restaurant open in Galilee on a Sabbath day. It's not a Jewish one because it's Sabbath. There's no cars on the street. It was only a Christian restaurant that was open. And I remember driving down the road and feeling and saying to Wendy, this is weird. I feel guilty for driving on a Saturday. The atmosphere was so focused on you don't drive on Saturdays, you don't go to restaurants on Saturdays, you don't work on Saturdays. It's the Sabbath. And I'm going, my goodness, this atmosphere, I'm absorbing it in. And so these atmospheres change the way we think. And this is why it's so important to become into the presence of God, to be in His atmosphere. And so His thoughts begin to permeate our thinking. And His desires begin to permeate our heart. And we can choose every day to step in to the presence of God. This is so important, church, because we live in a postmodern era, pre-modern era, the church and the word was accepted as the normal um, norms of culture. In the modern era, science took over. That was the truth for society. No longer was it what the scriptures were saying. It was science. In a postmodern, it's the individual. What I think is right, what I feel is right, that's the atmosphere where our children are growing in. That's the atmosphere that we live in. So it becomes so important for us to come and gather together, for us to gather into the presence of God and have the atmosphere of heaven over us, to receive from the Word of God and allow His Word to fill us and inspire us to think as He wants us to think. It's important, church. Here's the thing. We live in a world where moral decay has gone down so far. In many ways, the world is a better place. Medical technology is marvelous. People are living longer, which is wonderful. Child mortality rate is lower. It's great. But moral decay, the boundaries, the atmosphere that are pervading our societies is invasive. And as a church, we need to be diligent to go, I'm not going to let that atmosphere and those values shape my life. 
I'm going to press into the presence of God, the atmosphere of Jesus, the Word of God, and I'm going to allow the values of Jesus and the boundaries as a follower of Jesus determine the way I think and the way I act in my community. Then we'll shine as a bright light. Then we will carry the peace and grace of God. Another reason why this is so important, I was speaking to a church counsellor, sorry, a school counsellor recently. He's been in guidance counselling in schools for 30 years. And he said, I've never seen, never seen so much anxiety and depression in schools today. I said, why? Why do you think that is? He said, the values have just been eroded and eroded and eroded and eroded. And when self becomes God, anything goes and it all goes. And that's why we need to hold the light and stand in the presence of God and on His Word as followers of Jesus and be bold and be courageous and stand in faith and in the peace of God and go, I unashamedly stand as a Christ follower. I stand I stand for these morals. I stand for this righteousness. Not to be weird, but to be like Jesus. And God designs that peace is to rule our hearts. In Colossians 3.15, it's a beautiful verse. And let the peace that comes from Christ The peace that comes from Jesus. Jesus said, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. This is what he says. The peace that comes from Jesus. Let it rule your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. So allow the peace of God to rule in me and you individually. And we are called as a body to be in peace. And always be thankful. What Paul is saying, let there be peace within us and let there be peace amongst us. That can only happen through Jesus. The word rule is an interesting Greek word. It means to umpire. It's used in the context of the Olympic Games that when there were runners running, for example, in track events or doing the discus, the umpire was there to make sure People are running in the right lane. They're keeping to the the guidelines. They're following the rules of the race. The peace of God will keep you in the right lane for your life. God has called you all into different lanes. The lane he has for me is different than the lane he has for you. I think of Darren as a firefighter. That's an awesome lane, Darren. Just want to honor you for your work, mate. It's awesome. Well done. Praise God for what you do there. So these lanes, God has called us in. And because they're all different, God has given us an internal navigation system, an internal GPS system. It's His peace. It's His peace. And we need, if we're going to run in our lane well, if we're going to allow the peace of God to rule well, We have to discern God's peace. And there's three broad areas where you can discern it. There's no peace. There's the absence of peace. 
And then there's the presence of peace. I won't talk about no peace, but I'll talk about the absence of peace. Ten years ago when I was about 21, I can do that while Sheridan's not here. <laughs> uh, ten, no, it was more than 10 years ago. It was, it was 25 years ago. It was a long time ago. And um, Wendy and I were invited to pastor a church. And I thought, yes, I want to do this. But, of course, being good followers of Jesus, we said to one another, well, let's go away and pray and fast. So we went to Woody Anger or Fongamata, one, one of those places, and we prayed and we fasted. And I fasted for the first day, the second day, the third day, and I can't remember if it went longer or not. And I was, so God, you know, you want us to do this, don't you? And this is what I heard. Nothing. There wasn't a no. There wasn't a yes. There was just Nothing. I thought, my goodness, but God, I'd be really good at this. <laughs> it was just nothing. I thought, my God, my ears blocked with wax. God, have you gone on a holiday? There was nothing. So I went back to the leaders and I said, look, I'm sorry. I don't have a yes from God to do this. And then there was another situation not long after that. Wendy and I were invited to pastor another church. And so we visited the church and met with the leaders and it felt great. I, I felt, wow, this, this is certainly going to happen. We had the interview with the selection team and uh, that Sunday afternoon as we came home and had lunch with the pastor and uh, just before we sat down for lunch, I don't know why, I just opened up my Bible. It flipped open to Judges chapter 1 and it said in the opening verse, here it comes, and Joshua is dead. I thought, my goodness, oh God, you don't speak to me? Now you say this is dead? And three weeks later, the selection team phoned me up and said, look, this is all, we're not going to go with it. And I thought, this is so, so bizarre. But one other time, and there's many examples like this, and I'm sure you have many examples as well. Wendy and I were buying a home, and the real estate agent took us up to it, from the outside, as soon as I look at, looked at it, my spirit went, yes. The ruler, the peace of God said, yes. And I said, Wendy, this is it. Don't need to see any more. Don't even need to go inside. This is it. Well, of course, we did look at some others. We did go inside. But we purchased that place and, and had it for many years. It was the peace of God that ruled us. And so I want to encourage you, every day you're making decisions, Tune in to the presence of God, His Word, and His peace to have you on purpose in the lane that you are to run. When you're in peace, you'll run well. When you're in fear and anxiety, it will rob the energy to run well. God wants us to live in that place of peace. I feel to share this. I didn't share this at the 9am, but... Sometimes we can get faced with choices that come up very quickly in front of us that we really need to be careful to discern. Some good friends of ours are well outside of this region. Their son, who's married, had his own building business, was going really well. 
And he was driving one night, got really tired, and his mate said to him, hey, just take this, this will keep you awake. He said, fine. And then what followed for four or five years was a pee addiction. Wrecked his marriage, lost his business, left the city, went back with his family, his confidence has actually been smashed, and is trying to rebuild his life. Just a split moment of a decision that he knew he shouldn't have done and tipped him in a pathway that he regretted. And so I want to encourage us all to be mindful of those choices that can pop up that are not what God wants us to do. They will rob us from the peace and joy that Jesus has for us. So I'm going to conclude, church, with three things that I want you to take away today. How do I make this work? for This is the how-to part of it. Very quickly, when you wake up in the morning, whatever your routine is with coffee, prayer, reading the Bible, this is what I'd like you to do. Do it tomorrow. Give it a go for a week or two. I believe it'll change your life. Hop up and say, maybe on the corner of your bed, and say, Lord, thank you for your presence. I ask your presence to flow over me. And now I ask for your grace and peace to be upon me. Jesus, you said, my peace I give with you, my peace I leave with you. Jesus, I receive it. May it fill me. May it overflow me. You have positioned me on a platform to run in my lane, to run with peace, to run with joy. Let me run for your glory, I pray. Amen. It's one thing you can do. The second thing you can do, you can do all three of these things or one of them. When you get into your office, into your factory, into home, we read it in uh, Matthew 14, 27. You're facing challenges. Take a piece of paper. Write down the words of Jesus in the morning. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Still struggling at the end of the day. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. And the third thing you can do, you can do all of them or one of them, your call, is reflectful meditation. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Say that out aloud. Be still and know that I am God. And then drop a word each time. Be still and know that I am. Think about that. And again, be still and know that I am. And think about that. And again, be still and know. And be still. And then finally, be. Father, I pray today for every one of us that we will be filled with your grace and your peace. The peace that flows from the very throne of God. Jesus, you are called the Prince of Peace. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. Father, I pray your peace to permeate our hearts and our minds and that, Lord, we can 
allow your peace to rule our hearts and to rule our decisions. That, Lord, as individuals, as families, as a faith community, we'd run in the lane full of the strength of the Lord, full of your purpose, knowing that you're with us, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.